0: Okay, Patrick, tell us a bit more about this Trinity thing. Yeah, Patrick, tell us. But remember that we're simple people without your fancy education and books and learning, and we're hearing about all of this for the first time, so try to keep it simple. Okay, Patrick?
1: Hey there everyone welcome back to our latest episode and the end of our season two series holy heresies we are so glad you're back with us i hope you enjoyed the first week i am sam maxwell resident here to young adults on the young adult podcast and joined as always by the minister to young adult uh, young adults we have more than one uh, mm-hmm. john lemons uh, like I said, we're so glad you're back. Hopefully you enjoyed the first episode. I know we enjoyed talking about it and recording it and thinking through it and processing it and all those other things. And, you know, John, I, I think it's appropriate. This is the way we do it every week. How are you? How are things in your side of the hallway? What What's new in life?
0: Things are going well, man. In fact, I chuckled when you made that little slip there because I've done that before from the <laughs> stage and uh, just a church greeting. I started to say I'm the minister for young adults and I changed it mid-sentence to minister to young adults, but when I, what ended up coming out of my mouth was minister for two young adults. And so <laughs> Jeff White and Joanna White gave me a hard time about that and uh, mm-hmm. asked me which two I was a minister of, so.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for only two young adults. Mm-hmm. We have at least three though, right? Yeah. Yeah, at least yeah. that. <laughs> so. And we finally got to do the, uh, the Trash Pandas game this past weekend, so that's kind of kind of cool we did totally or
0: you know whenever you're listening to this maybe it was three weeks ago or three months ago i don't know but Mm -hmm. um yeah we did finally we got to go to the stadium and have the food and the 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 party on the party deck there but we still have not been able to watch a game because the game got rained out uh Mm -hmm. it got yeah postponed before it even started so you know we get Mm -hmm. to use our tickets again for another future game, whenever it's convenient for those who are there, but we will not get to enjoy one another's company on the party deck during a game, uh, mm. unless we are to book another event. So uh, maybe, yeah. maybe we'll look to do that again next year and give it the fourth, the fourth try. The fourth try, maybe that'll be the the charm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sort of a third time is a charm. The fourth, yeah. fourth time. I mean, um, serious. Yeah, we'll see. But it was all fun. It was all good. I, it was a great time. The party deck is great. If you are local here in Huntsville, go to a Trash Pandas game. Great stadium, great venue. It is. Hopefully, you can see a game.
0: Yeah, so let's no, jump into heresies. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> even more exciting. Yeah. Um. So yeah, as I mentioned earlier, we are. This is episode two. This isn't a new series or a new. Or it's not a new season. It is a new series in season two. So we did straight out of context. Um, what nine episodes, and then we took mm-hmm. a week off, and then now we're doing four weeks of holy heresies, um, with an exclamation. You The things that
0: you probably believe that you probably shouldn't believe.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's like, holy heresies, Batman, like with an exclamation in case you are wondering how do you put holy and heresies together. So last week we talked about Gnosticism, this week we're talking about the Trinity, and John, you had a really good definition last week of heresy, just to, you know, we've probably heard about heresy in our history class, Um, but what does heresy mean in the original language as someone back in the day may have understood it?
0: Yeah, uh, I don't remember exactly what I said last week. So if you want that, go back and look at it. Uh, but I'll tell you what my notes say from <laughs> from last week. Because here's what happens when you get past like 35. Sam is like you, your memory fades quickly, and you have to pee all the time. So uh, <laughs> that's what. Mark my words, those of you who are under 35, that that is what will happen. But uh, what I have in my notes about heresy is it it really what the word comes from is it just means a, a thing chosen or a choice. Um, it came to be known as sort of a school of someone's thought. So that's where the word comes from. Like I said, I don't remember what else I said about it uh, as well. But I think the what you want to get at and emphasize here is, you know, the question I think we've asked is, are we, are we all heretics? Do we believe things that are heresies? And I know as we talk about the Trinity, A, I'm... Fairly certain there will be something I will say during this episode that will be heretical, number one. Number two, I've believed some of this in the past, but I think the point that you're getting at is to be a heretic or to be labeled a heretic, really, it's not so much what you believe as as it is what you choose to believe. So when something that you believe is exposed to you as a heresy, then if you choose to continue to believe it, then that's kind of what makes you a heretic because it is that chosen mm-hmm belief, even even when the truth has been shown to you, right? Is that mm-hmm. what you're getting at?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and even more so just along those lines as we would think ancient heresies or, you know, years ago, and when you talk about the Inquisition or whatever else, um, oftentimes it's the extra step of like knowing you're wrong, but then teaching it anyway. Right. But you definitely make a great distinction that there, many of us, especially in our topic today, will have heretical thoughts or um, ideas or analogies that we hold onto to explain the Trinity. Um, so we are all probably heretics in some way, shape, or form. Um, but the difference is knowing that oh, okay, this is wrong. I'm going to change, or saying no, I'm wrong, but I'm going to hold onto this and keep onto this, knowing that it's wrong.
0: Yeah, we're, or just we believe heretical things. If we teach them and knowingly teach them, then we're mm-hmm. we could be we could fall into territory being heretics. And yeah, you know, hundreds of years ago, that would have gotten you burned at the stake or mm-hmm. your head chopped off or whatever so yeah. which is another problem in and of itself but mm-hmm. yeah that's and, another topic for another time
1: and nowadays we uh, we just make podcasts about it so re- that's right yeah. and the reason we we talk about we we wanted to do this series is because regardless of who you are or where you are there are vestiges or last week we talked about tentacles of heresy that have long continued past their days when they originally came up and were first faced by the church um mm-hmm. and last week we talked about things um, from Gnosticism that appear, in the songs that we sing, or the things that we think about God, or relationship with God, or God's relationship with the world, and we often think about heresies as things that, like I said, are, are long gone, are very, very old, and have disappeared. But with the whole idea of tentacles and vestiges, like they really aren't. Like we need to not deceive ourselves into thinking any of this. So as we've talked about last week, we covered Gnosticism. A uh, quick catch-up on Gnosticism is that it was an ancient ideology that attempted to blend Christianity with Hellenistic or Greek philosophy, but was quickly rejected by the global church. It was so worrying, in fact, for Christians um, that they all got together in one place to write down and decide um, what the concrete beliefs were on various different issues um, or right understandings on a number of issues, which is where we get the term orthodoxy. So thanks to these gatherings or the councils, the church councils, we have creeds such as the Nicene Creed, which you've probably heard, which we'll discuss a little bit later. And some distinguishing features, and John, please let me know if there are any that I don't mention that you know just stick out to you, but some things of Gnosticism characteristics, a fascination with the right or special knowledge, a rejection of creation or physical things as being evil.
0: Yeah, all matter. All matter. Yeah. Um,
1: and because our bodies are created, um, the objective for a Gnostic is to escape the body to become spiritual beings to be like God or to escape the physical realm and become more spiritual. Um, and using the special knowledge, you can escape your body and go to where God is. Um, but it creates a lot of problems, right? What do you do with the humanity of Christ? Do you reject the humanity of Christ? Do you say, well, there was a human, but he was not God because only God could be a spiritual deity or being. Um, And we've seen it in songs, you know, whether it's, um, you know, seeking God so much, you know, let this world fade away because God, I just want to be with you. Right. That kind of has some Gnostic tones to it. Um, Any lingering thoughts or opinions from last week, John?
0: Yeah. And I think just where we landed with that was the idea of the the basic idea that most people have of, well, you have a soul and one day your soul is going to leave all this behind and go live. In the place where souls live in heaven or whatever. Yes, uh, but that's not sort of the final mm-hmm. destination, so to speak. You know, we, we referenced N.T. Wright last week talking about life after life after death. So we do believe in a renewal of the physical world of material things, including your body. So so Gnostics would, would deny that, but Christianity would say, yes, you might have a soul that goes to a temporal kind of holding place like heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the final intent of all of this is for us to be rejoined with God in a new heaven or, or really uh, a, re- a renewed heaven and renewed earth mm-hmm. with renewed bodies, uh, resurrected bodies. That's the whole point of Jesus's resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, so you will have your body again, but in a renewed state. So um, that's kind of the big kind of divergence between Gnosticism and Christianity. And I, I think a lot of Christians just don't really understand that last final sort of step uh in uh you know what we what we what we would call eternity or oh, what's the what's the fancy theological term for the end things eschatology. Eschatology
1: or eschaton is the end things. Yeah. Eschatology is study of end so, things.
0: Yeah. So you know that's kind of the, you know, the the thing to if you want to call yourself an Orthodox believer and, you know, kind of take that step, that's kind of where you need to go with that, so. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and it's fascinating. I encourage you if you didn't go back and listen to our other episode from last week. Um, It's not exhaustive. There are large, massive books and lots of people still talking about Gnosticism and all of the many hundreds of thousands of facets to Gnosticism and all of of its very um, derivations, so.
0: Yeah, and they're talking about tentacles. There are tentacles of it that still yes. exist. Um, it's it's very heavily influenced by Greek philosophy, and much mm-hmm. of what we think we believe about Christianity is more influenced by Greek philosophy than mm-hmm. the, the actual Bible. Yeah. Um. And then you see it again in, in popular culture, like we talked about last week. Movies like The Matrix are full of Gnostic ideas. So mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. so we talked about that last week. It's a great episode. Yeah. Go back and, and listen to it. Yeah,
1: Fantastic episode. But this week, we are talking about the Trinity and the doctrine of the Trinity. So soon to be— yeah. Dr. John, will you tell us and all of our listeners definitively definitively what the Trinity is so we can nail it down once and for all?
0: Yeah, I I, I can't do that. <laughs> <So>.
1: <laughs> uh, well, uh, I, I guess that's our show, folks. Thanks for turning in. Uh, thanks to Ellen. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Just kidding. Um, Seriously, no, we've been reading. You yeah. and I both have been reading. I'm more confused about the Trinity than I was before I started reading everything. But I think that's the point. Mm-hmm. This
1: episode will probably end up being very unsatisfying if you were hoping that our last little joke there was going to come to a very concrete, easy to understand, plain concept of what the Trinity is. Um, The Trinity is very difficult. It's hard. Um, But there's still things we can talk about, things that it's not. Um, So that's what we're going to do today. So at the beginning of the episode, um, you heard a little Audio clip and it's from a YouTube video called Saint Patrick's Bad Analogies, and it jokingly covers the doctrine of the Trinity in a form of a conversation between um, Saint Patrick and two Irish peasants. So basically, they go back and forth. The peasants feign any sort of understanding or knowledge about the topic, and as Patrick will say, "Okay, well here's an an analogy to help you understand what this is." They'll say, "No, Patrick, that's not what it is. That's heretical. The Church outlawed the earth." spoke out against this at this point in time, saying these things. But I think it really gets to the heart of something that, much like we said, the Trinity is particularly hard to understand and comprehend, even for folks like us, John, who have all of that education and learning. But in addition to that, it's even harder to teach. Now, perhaps with more so than with other doctrines, perhaps it's best to learn about the Trinity By understanding what the Trinity is not, and this is where it benefits to kind of get into some of the heresies. You know, we can know what something is by knowing what it's not, or on the other hand, you can find out what it's not by knowing what it is. That's often the approach we take, but we're going to take the former. So that'll be a little bit of the format today. I'll give a quick description. We'll talk about it. We'll look at some of the heresies about what the Trinity isn't. Maybe that'll help you form what it is, and then we'll turn to what we think the doctrine of the Trinity is trying to uh, explain to us, and some of our takeaways. To kick us off, to get started in talking about what is the Trinity, if we had any sort of description or definition, here it is. The Trinity is a mystery. And while we have the doctrine of the Trinity, which was intended to lay out a right understanding of the Trinity, it isn't intended to hammer out the Trinity or make it absolutely understandable or plain. The doctrine of the Trinity is intended to preserve the mystery of the Trinity while allowing us to know what it's not, providing tracks to stay on.
0: Yeah, this is more about defining what the Trinity is, not more than it is yeah. defining what the Trinity is. And I love the way your theology professor put it. And we're reading a book together through this. And I think, I think you posted it in the show notes last week. Mm-hmm. And if not, we can do it this week. But he talked about there's no understanding the Trinity. You can come to an understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity. So yeah, mm-hmm. which I think you you you're laying out here. So yeah. I, I, that's just something that if if we emphasize nothing else in this episode that's kind of that's kind of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is the that's a good point John. I think there's a some a distinction that we have to make is that the trinity is the thing that we are trying to understand and the doctrine of the trinity is the thing that the church fathers laid out to say these are the guide rails that we are creating to help us understand the trinity without over explaining it or Making it underwhelming or anything. Really, it's the these are the this is the framework to help us get to a place. But largely, as Doctor Olson has said in his book "Counterfeit Christianity," it's all of it is about preserving the mystery. There's a something about God, His otherness, that we just can't understand from our place as human created. And he wouldn't be God if we could, right? So yeah, so they I think they rightfully, when coming up with all these doctrines and ideas, decided let's not try to explain it. Let's not try to explain it away. Let's preserve the godliness in the midst of all of this and, and recognize and be willing to accept that we can't fully understand. So let's just try to put together what we can to preserve that mystery and make sure that no one tries to explain it away or undo that mystery and then continue on and continue to worship and continue to know God through that lens.
0: Yeah. I guess one way I could illustrate that, you know, we can love God without fully understanding God in the same way, you know, I've got a little puppy Oscar at home. You guys have heard me talk about him You know, dogs can't, they don't understand the concept of family. You know, they, they can, you know, mate and, and have puppies and that kind of thing. But the idea of matrimony and lifelong partnership relationship with your offspring into adulthood, like he just doesn't understand that. Right. And he's not, he's not going to, um, Mm -hmm. but he can still be in relationship with us to the fullest extent that he can, you know, he certainly loves us and he knows that we, we all go together Mm -hmm. That's about the extent to what he can understand, though. And in the same sense, like we're, I mean, we're just wholly other beings than than God. And there's parts of God and and, and how God relates uh, that we can understand, and there's other parts that just we're just not. It, it's just unfathomable mm-hmm. for us.
1: Yeah, it's and I've used this analogy elsewhere, but it would be like explaining to a a, a baby still in utero what the outside world looks like, right? Yeah the infant would have no idea what you're talking about like it would grasp onto things that made sense to it based on its perspective but otherwise it would be wholly a mystery um right so just to just to kind of tack on to that but as we talked about preserving this mystery we had especially around the the gnostics the church fathers got together to talk about well what is the right belief we need to really nail something down because we're seeing a proliferation of a lot of people with a lot of different thoughts that seem to really depart From right Christian belief,
0: they were taking they were taking
1: verses out of context exactly. So listen to our first show from this season, Mm -hmm. Um, so you can get on some of that. So in the first one, they were dealing with well, what do we do about the deity of Jesus? We worship Jesus as God, but you know there are some people who are saying, well, maybe it's not. Or if you get this Gnosticism thing, maybe Jesus really isn't God, or maybe he's holy God and not human. So there are still a lot of things. And then also, what do you do with God itself in? It's the way it exists, um, which is how we come to Trinity. So they came up with the Nicene Creed, and they had to eventually adapt it again for additional things. And for our purposes, here's this piece that they have that deals with the Trinity and the Godhead. It says, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible, And in one Lord, Jesus the Anointed, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. So again, it's not telling us anything definitive. It is protecting the mystery while maintaining a couple of things in very tight tension together.
0: Well, and I think part of the confusion of the Trinity is often found in the way we use language as well, because I'm even seeing it here, a lot of times people will use the terms God and Father interchangeably. Mm -hmm. Um, They'll say God when they really mean God the Father. Um, You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas, you know, God, Jesus is God, Spirit is God as well. So you can't, we should always make that differentiation, but we don't always. And so a lot of times we'll just say God and we're actually referring to God the Father. Mm -hmm hopefully that'll make more sense as we continue to go on if it doesn't make sense right now, mm-hmm. but
1: yeah. continue. And it, and it is worth recognizing that there is a limitation in language. So so much mm-hmm. that we know and that we talk about is a product of our history or culture and our ability to wrap thoughts around ways to explain them in language. So if you study a lot of different languages, you know, when I'll joke with my wife, cause she'll be like, you need to know Spanish better. Um, and I'll say, why it's so complicated. You add so many extra words to things. Um, But it's just languages are different, and languages allow you to do different things. And when Greek came along, Greek allowed the ancient world to express thoughts and ideas in so many unique and amazing ways that they were really confined by the languages previously. So even as we talk about this and the Nicene Creed, there are pieces along the way where people said, okay, well, sure, this word kind of works, but what does this really mean as we use this word? Is this word really completing what we're trying to say? Does it really preserve what we're trying to say? So I think that's talking about our human finitude. I think that's just another component is that we only have such capacity to be able to understand and think about God and consider the vastness of God. And also we have limitations based on our language and our ability to express thoughts and concepts about God as we understand them. So as we, we mentioned, Dr. Olson is, wrote this book that we're reading along, and he gives a, a succinct way of talking about the Trinity. And I mentioned before, it's, it's about holding lots of different things in intention together. And he says very briefly, three are represented as God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are regarded as distinct persons. Their threeness is imminent and eternal. However, they're united in the same substance with no inequality. So there are a couple of things here talking about tension. You have three, but they are one, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are distinct, they are not separate. Sometimes people can make right. can step into some trouble when they say oh they are they are one but they're three separate. They are not separate, they are distinct. So this, right. is, this is where language becomes very important. You know, if we have limitations with language, we also have to be very particular and specific. Their threeness is imminent and eternal. Um, eternal is a big one. That's something you see also in old church doctrines talking about the eternal of all three, right? Does is one exist before the others? Do the others come after another? No, we say that they are all eternal. They exist in whatever exist means eternally together at the same time. Right. And they are united in the same esten- essence or substance. They are of the same thing. Um, with no inequality. So there is not one that is higher or lower. They are not different things. They are um, distinct while being the same. Did you have something, John?
0: No, I'm just uh, trying to think of how to illustrate this. Uh, You know, however you do it, wherever you land, that has to be, you have to understand that you're talking about three distinct persons of the Trinity, yet also they are co-equal. Mm-hmm. And co-eternal. So I think a lot of times people think, you know, well, Jesus and and the Holy Spirit came after God, or more specifically, God the Father. Because again, we'll use those terms interchangeably. But no, they they are co-eternal. They are co-equal in their divinity. Um, and there's just I don't there's I don't know how you explain that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been wrestling with it all all week, and you know we've we've talked about it before. You know. Um, I was trying to think about, you know, one way I think that can help understand this or at least understand the uh, inability to understand it. <laughs> you know, we believe Jesus is fully human and, f- and fully divine. We, and you might ask, well, how can that be? I think, I think we can understand that a little bit better. But mm-hmm. you know, for him to be fully human means he experienced all that we experienced. If he didn't, if he didn't face all the temptations that we face, then he's not, he can't be our substitute. But he also is fully divine, which, you know, we talked to the last, the last episode of um, Straight Out of Context, you know, the, the idea that Jesus was fully human and needed someone to, you know, point out his racism or whatever. Like, no, he, he was fully divine. Mm-hmm. And to be divine, like he wasn't, he wasn't racist. So I think we can understand that sort of duality, even though it doesn't make sense. You know, I think understanding kind of how that works and how there can be a paradox there can help us with the Trinity as well. I think another way, you know, possibly that could help is, you know, the idea of love. I have, you know, a daughter, two daughters and, and a wife, you know, um, I started to say a daughter and two wives. <laughs> I do not have that. Um, and how do you describe your love for for your family? Well, I love them with all my heart, you know, who do you love more? I I, do, I don't, I love them all equally and I love them all with all my heart. So it's not like I love them each with 33% of my heart you know, like it's, <laughs> mm-hmm. I love them each with all my heart. I, you know, I, there's no way to measure that or illustrate that, but it all makes, it makes sense to all of us. Like everybody understands that. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that's another way to kind of understand there's a, there's a paradox here that you can't quite put into words and that you can't quite put into measurements, but it's mm-hmm. how, it's how this is, I guess.
1: Yeah. And you talked on love and you know, we've been talking about the very particularness and the way you have to be razor sharp with your language, because we, as we talk about the Trinity and we talk about love, one of the foundational truths that we know about God is revealed to us, that is that God is a love, right? right. So God must exist with distinct persons or in such a way that love can exist because love is, you know, love for self is not really love. Love for is expressed as an outward for other. So there is something going on in the Trinity Because if we reduce to God's lovingness to be toward humans only in itself, then that creates some sort of codependency with humanity or with creation. But Mm -hmm. we don't believe in orthodoxy that God created all things out of necessity or because he needed something to love. We believe that God created all things out of love, right? So there's, Mm -hmm. there's no necessity for God to create, there's no necessity for God to need us, but God chose freely to create and to love us despite not needing to. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that money's the water, but all to say that if, if you can't hold these things in proper tension and you say, well, you know, some of the, I'm going to let some of these things slip or I'm going to let some of these things change, then it ends up going down a lot of like deep, deep rabbit holes where you're like, well, that, that doesn't really work out, does it? Mm-hmm. So to rip the bandaid off, John, let's talk about bad analogies. Uh, you've been trying to... The things a lot that
0: of, our listeners probably believe that are heretical.
1: Yeah, that we probably believed and, <laughs> and so that we are writing I, this episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, and probably still do believe. Yeah. I mean, come on, let's be honest.
1: So we've, we've all asked about analogies. We've all said, okay, but how do you understand the Trinity? Give me a picture. Give me something to wrap my head around that gives me a good idea of what the Trinity is or how to think about it or understand it or perceive it or whatever. So what are some of these bad analogies that you've heard? And John, are there any that you were willing to admit to our thousands upon thousands upon thousands of listeners that you believed for some amount of time.
0: Yeah. So probably what I most believed and taught is what's called the heresy of modalism, which is just the idea that God took on different modes or different forms at different times. So for instance um you've probably heard the illustration that uh, you know i'm john and to my wife i'm john her husband to my daughters i'm john their father to my employer i'm john the employee Um, so i'm different people to two different people i'm a different person two different people but that's not the trinity that's that's modalism that Mm -hmm. that is the idea that i have different forms are aware different masks so to speak it's it, it comes you know the illustration comes from the idea of greek um drama mm-hmm. uh you know the, another illustration that goes with that that i've used before you know is the idea of h2o right What you know what we call water but you know scientifically h2o can take the form of liquid can take the form of solid in ice can take the form of steam um, and so people will, will use that as a description of the, of the Trinity. And that's, that's modalism as well. You could kind of get close if you, if you take like an ice cube and you put it in a frying pan and you have all <laughs> three at the same, and so you have, it's still, it's still a little bit of ice and it's still, it's, it's producing steam and it's producing liquid, but even that is not exactly right. Even that gets, you know, cause, cause they have to be co-eternal and co-equal, mm. right? So like, that's not going to stay that way forever. But the idea of the three existing at the same time and still being H2O kind of can get you there a little bit of the way, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. but it's still not a perfect analogy.
1: Yeah. And I think that's one that probably a lot of people have been told before, and it, it gets you mm-hmm. in the direction oh, yeah. of, well, how can you be one thing, but three things? So it, it kind of gets you in the right direction, but it you're right. It, it doesn't get you far enough. And that's the problem is because it doesn't get you far enough. It leaves you in this like dark land um, where if you stay there, then it begins to kind of change and corrupt potentially some of the other ways you do your faith or you think about God, um, Mm -hmm. because it doesn't all the way get you there. Some other ones are uh, like the sun. You know, the sun is the star, and from the star comes light and heat. That's probably one that maybe people here in our community have heard or talked about. But that's also not the Trinity. That would also be um, a heresy, and it would be denounced as a heresy of um, Arianism or uh, subordinationism, so that one is greater than the other, or that two were produced from the one. Right, like heat and light place. are
0: not the sun itself; right. they are produced by the sun. So mm-hmm. that's the problem with that, because the the sun and the Holy Spirit, the Son, sun and the Holy Spirit, are not produced by God the Father. Mm-hmm. That's the problem with that one. Yeah.
1: and some other ones. Some people would say, "Well, what about an egg? Right, you have the shell, you have the yolk, and then you have the egg white." Eh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure, you're one distinct things, but each of those things is also very distinct in itself um, and separate. It's the same thing with an apple, right? The seed is not an apple, and the seed of an apple is not the outside, the skin. The seed is not the other parts. So while they are in one apple, they're not the same thing.
0: Yeah, so that's important to say as well, because the Trinity is distinct, but co-equal and co-eternal, and also of of the same substance or essence. And so that's another you know, theological, um, determination, I guess, that's been, that's been, you know, clarified over the, over the years. There's, there's an essence of them that is the same. And and there's an illustration I've seen where, you know, you have the Trinity, you have the, you have the father, the son, and the spirit kind of in a triangular shape in the middle of it is the term God. Mm -hmm. And, and from each of the names, Jesus, father, and spirit tracing to the word God is, is the word is. So Jesus is God. Father is God. Holy spirit is God. And then from kind of around the edges from Jesus to father to Holy spirit is the word is not, Mm -hmm. because that's an important distinction to make. Jesus is not the father. The father is not the spirit. The spirit is not Jesus, but Jesus is God. The father is God and the spirit is God. Right. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense, (laughs) but you do have to make that clear distinction is yes, they are distinct, they are coequal. Um, they share the essence, mm-hmm. you know, of of God, and they sh- they have the same essence or substance, but yeah. they are they are distinct.
1: Yeah, and perhaps one of the other problems that a lot of people have is just folks outside will say, "Well, where is the Trinity in the Bible?" Um, and that can be another like really difficult place for some people kind of approaching this theological topic. And that that was an issue a long time ago. Is well, how do you create Trinity when it doesn't explicitly say anything in the Bible? And I think there are a couple of reasons. Um, I don't know if it's worth getting into now. But the biggest thing was, as you read the Bible, you find that there are, there is some sort of distinct oneness going on, right? So when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, not my will, but your will be done. Um, Jesus also claims, like, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, right? So there is this, I am God, but God God the Father, let your will be done not my will. Also when Jesus right. comes back after the resurrection he says I must go so that I can send the helper. So is Jesus just right. sending himself or right so there there are biblical considerations that we take into this to say well there is something going on that maybe wasn't directly revealed to us explicitly by God. Um but we still know it to be true about God based on our relationship with God and the biblical testimony that we've been provided.
0: Yeah. And getting on what you what you touched on when you started that that, that there's no explicit teaching of the Trinity in in the Bible. It's more just sort of, you know, we discover it there. My theology professor when I was in seminary, his name was, uh, or is, Fisher mm-hmm. Humphreys. In fact, he was at First Baptist Church as an interim pastor ah, 20 years ago or so. I, when I the, Around the time I was actually in seminary. I didn't know that, but I found that out here later on. So there may be people listening to this who, who know who I'm talking about. But anyways, here's what he said about the Trinity in scripture he says occasionally i meet well first of all he talks about uh, the fact that the new testament is with the exception of luke who wrote luke and acts the rest of the new testament is written by jewish people mm-hmm. who more than anything believed in the fact that there there were monotheists there was one god and only one god so here's what fisher humphrey says occasionally i meet a christian who is surprised to learn that no new testament writer ever explained how god could be both one and three or three in one. He says, I do not find that surprising. What is surprising to me is that devout monotheistic Jews wrote 120 New Testament passages in which they casually alluded to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That is the fact which cries out for an explanation. And I know of only one plausible explanation. It is that they had participated for years in a community that had a Trinitarian faith and which lived a Trinitarian Life. So in other words, what he what he's saying is the idea of the Trinity, the reason why it's not explained in the New Testament is it was just kind of a given. Uh, they, they had arrived at a point where whoever they were writing to, they felt like they didn't need to explain it, right? So somehow, among monotheistic Jewish people who believed there was one God, somehow this theology developed that yes, God is one, but he exists in, in three different distinct people, the, the people of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And they don't explain that because evidently like it by the time they write this stuff down, it was just kind of taken as a understood theology of how to understand God in his oneness. Mm-hmm. Um if that if that makes if that makes sense. It probably doesn't.
1: Yeah. I think the big thing to preserve is like you said, majority of the Bible was written by people who were Jewish, other than Luke, probably a Gentile, and they were mm-hmm monotheists, right? They believed in Mm -hmm. a single God. And yet throughout their writings, they maintained this concept concept of distinctness, but oneness. So Mm -hmm. while there wasn't an explicit, oh, it's called the theology, they lived it and they practiced it and probably practiced it within their own lives in the early first century, Mm -hmm. is what your professor is saying. So yeah, that's, that's the strange thing. That's what you often hear from a lot of people when they say, well, how can you believe the Trinity? It's not in the Bible. Well, you know, there are a lot of things that aren't necessarily explicitly in the Bible that we're like, well, you know, there, there might be something to this because Jesus talks in a certain way about something or acts in a certain mm-hmm. way or, you know, very- well, as you
0: said, it, it, as you read the Bible, you, you see the distinctness you mm-hmm. see, I mean, the problem with modalism is how can Jesus say to the father, not my will, but your will. So yeah. you don't have an explicit teaching of the Trinity, but you see the vestiges of the Trinity mm-hmm. throughout the new Testament, uh, the pages of the new Testament. Yeah.
1: John, just a little bit earlier, you were kind of talking about you know, the Godhead and as we experience God and know God. And so it's, it's a good segue into the next point is that I think some of the way that we begin to think about God is the way that God is perceived by us or the way in which we are introduced to God in the Bible, um, which comes up with two very interesting ideas and two different ways that you can think about God or perceive God or talk about God. And one is the ontological trinity, or the ontological way of thinking about God, or...
0: All right, don't know what that means. Yeah,
1: we'll talk about it here in a second. <laughs> um, or the economic way that we talk about the trinity. So this has nothing to do with money. Also
0: don't know what that yeah, means. <laughs> has nothing to do with money,
1: has nothing to do with anything else.
0: But I'm about to be a doctor, y'all. Yeah,
1: um, and I'm just a resident, so <laughs> just <you> kidding. Go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there are two different ways. So the ontological, which is the first one, onto... Um, if you break it down into the Greek, um, onto has to do with the the true essence or nature of something. So what is it as it is to itself in its truest form, in its truest being, in its truest essence? So when we talk about an ontological trinity, um, some theologians will call it an imminent trinity, we're referring to the trinity in itself with regard to God's works in creation and redemption, and it has nothing to do with humans or the way we think about it. So if you had to create a line, right, or a ray, for those of our mathematicians, where you draw a dot and you draw an arrow, right, that dot would be in the God itself, and things proceed from it. So the origin of that ray is in God. So as we think about God is as God itself, and then things come away from God. The second one is the economic trinity. And the economic trinity comes from the Greek word economia, which literally means like household management. You've probably heard like oikos or there are different pronunciations, but it has to do with the house or assigning roles or jobs within the household structure.
0: Oikos like the yogurt?
1: Yeah, kind of. <laughs> nice. Um, so it, to be clear, we're, we're, the distinction here isn't really a, a theological in essence. It's really a point, it's really a distinction based on origin, origin of thought. So if the ontological beginning is with God itself, the economic beginning of assigning roles or distinctions begins with the human thought or consideration first.
0: Okay, would it be fair to say ontological Sam is who Sam is? Economic Sam is how Sam is perceived.
1: Yeah, yeah, or how you have so, experienced Sam. So
0: Yeah, okay, so yeah. so, yeah, for me, I know I'm a high introvert, full of self-doubt, <laughs> mm-hmm. and the way that is perceived sometimes is that I am not friendly, and that I, d- I don't care about people, when in reality, I think people don't care about me. So so that's kind of what, what you're getting as the the core essence versus how the eff- essence is perceived or how the essence is mm-hmm. being portrayed. Exactly,
1: yeah. So the one is as it is to its truest nature, and then the second, the economic, is about the activity of God or the way that we see the roles expressed within creation. Um, and a good divider here is to remember that in Orthodox theology, God exists outside of creation. So God exists in a way that is beyond the created world and the created realm. Um, Correct. If God crosses the line into creation at all or exists in creation or confined by creation, that becomes a whole other heresy that we won't deal with here.
0: I mean, and that's remarkable too, just to take a side note. I mean, if you think about that, the fact that we and everything we can fathom is finite. Mm Mm-hmm you know is of time and space except for god the fact that we can even conceive of something that is not confined by time and space is really remarkable mm-hmm. if you I mean, if you think about it i mean yes it's a concept but i think the fact that even we can conceive of that is is really remarkable mm-hmm. more than than i think it even sounds
1: yeah so you may be asking listener why are you coming up with these big words why do they matter and here's the big reason we matter they matter especially as we talk about subordinationism or modalism which we'll talk or just other heresies is that the ontological trying to examine god in itself as god self is in its truest nature preserves the oneness and threeness and eternalness of god but when you get to the economic trinity because it is a, as it is revealed to us or god is revealed to us if you look at the bible who do you see first appear in the bible you see god the father and then right. who is the or
0: or at least he's perceived as God the Father. Right.
1: right. Um and then who is the next of the Trinity that is revealed to humanity and to creation? Jesus the Jesus the Son. Right. And then who is the next that is revealed in creation? It's the Holy Spirit.
0: Jesus sends the advocate, the counselor, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: So if you are sitting in a situation, this is why it becomes important. If you are sitting in a situation and someone is talking about the economic trinity or the activity the activity of God or the roles of God within creation and the arc of redemption for all of creation, then it can very much look like the Trinity, the God or the persons of the Trinity have different roles or have different functions or are separate in some way or one comes after the next or that there is a particular fashion and order which they are supposed to exist. So you could probably see, based on some of our discussion earlier, how this can easily lead into a poorly perceived understanding of the Trinity. Whenever you're doing theology or anything else, I think it's important to start with the origin of being God. So what do we know about God from the position of God, not from our position trying to wrap our head around God? Because when we do that, we, we often will try to fill in blanks or make things into analogies that don't fit. And so that's how we can often skew things. So always start with God, always start considering all things of life and creation and theology with the person of God is the origin of thought. And don't start with yourself in the way that you were able to wrap your mind around it or conceive it or rationalize it because that just doesn't do you any favors. So with those things considered, let's get back to heresies. Now we're finally back. Yeah, cause you Go ahead.
0: You mentioned subordinationism mm-hmm. a little bit ago, but I don't know that we defined what that is. So We have not. But you could probably guess, the the person at home could probably guess, because you know what being subordinate means. Mm -hmm. So tell us what subordinationism is. Fantastic.
1: So, yeah, economic trinity, ontological trinity, the one of God in his essence, the one as we understand God as he is revealed to us in creation, which sometimes can look like subordinationism. So subordinationism is this idea that God is the origin, and it it has a lot of different forms and looks— God the Father. Yeah, God the Father. Yes, thank you. I should be— more uh, conscious of that in this this episode so subordinationism can look like a lot of different things and has transformed into other heresies you may have heard of like arianism which is a strain of thought of subordinationism but it's this broad idea that god the father is the origin is the creator and that the son or the holy spirit proceed from the father god the father so much like we talked about that example of the the sun s-u-n that's you know all of our plants planets go around um, you have the sun as the main body, but then light and heat come out of the sun. They are not the sun, but they're produced by the sun. That is subordinationism because you are creating one like central figure, and the other are lesser figures. Um,
0: and the others are still powerful mm-hmm. That's because it's like heat and light are still powerful. Right. Like we can't we can't produce that, mm-hmm. but they're subordinate to the. Mm-hmm.
1: And it it creates a, as I mentioned, it creates a lot of issues because then how far do you take this idea? Do you take this idea to say well? perhaps Jesus wasn't really divine, that he was just super powerful, right? He was imbued with a number of super abilities by the Godhead, by God the Father, as we had recognized him, but he's not fully divine, right? So it easily lends itself to a heresy. The other thing, and I think we do this a lot in our modern churches, is we subordinate the Holy Spirit as some type of like force or energy. Um,
0: Right, not a person. Right,
1: not a person. Mm -hmm. And we, we do this often when we try to explain the Holy Spirit. And Let's be clear, if it's not already clear, this stuff is really hard to comprehend. So if if someone's said something and you're like, oh, this person said this or they're a heretic. No, they're probably not. They probably just don't understand it well. We don't understand it well. We are like... Or they just can't explain
0: it. There's just not words. Yeah. Yeah. So, you
1: know, the the word for spirit or Holy Spirit is like ruach in the Hebrew, um, right? So it's very much this idea of a wind or a movement. But even in modern Christianity, we will reduce the Holy Spirit from a person or a a distinct person of the Trinity to just some type of force or energy or literally a wind or a movement. And so regardless of how we think about the Trinity, functionally, we think about the Holy Spirit as just something very, very less than the God or God the Father or Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah. And oftentimes we'll even describe it as an it. Mm-hmm. Describe, I just did it. I just did yeah. it. So- the spirit as an it, not as a he, um, mm-hmm. or your your professor points out that the the Hebrew term for God's spirit is actually a feminine term. Mm-hmm. Let's not get into like yep. whether, it, we don't have words to describe it, mm-hmm. to describe the spirit, to describe him or, you know, whatever. But the, the idea that Sam is getting at is the spirit is of the same essence, of the same mind as God the Father, God the Son. so. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's not just a life force or an energy that binds all things together. It's an actual active person of the, you, you've used the term Godhead, which mm-hmm. is, again, a, a theological term that our listeners may not have heard before. But Godhead refers to the three in oneness mm-hmm. of God. Yeah, like that. that is, you're, you're so right. Like, it's just a, it, it is, we tend to think of the spirit as not of the same. Mm-hmm essence as Jesus, the son and God, the father.
1: Yeah. And in, in churches or in books, right? I, I have a book on my shelf that I've been intending to read through and it's, um, what, I, what chasing the goose, right? So the goose is related as like the mm. Holy spirit and trying to figure out the Holy spirit. Um, and there is some underlying, you know, idea here that the Holy spirit is something different than the God that you're already worshiping on Sunday mornings. Or what about in prayers where you will say, Oh, Holy spirit come into this place. Like, are we treating the Holy Spirit as something other than God or distinct from God or less than God that we have to, like, you know, we have to go to God and say, God, send your Holy Spirit because he's your, like, little servant that you send along, or we need the power of the Holy Spirit because uh, God is the Son and the Holy Spirit is just some sort of energy that is produced or sent by God, or is the Holy Spirit just a messenger from God, Right? is he some sort of Hermes figure from the Greek pantheon? So there are just so many different ways that we can, either in our language or the way we talk about God, uh, all of the trinity of God in churches, where we can in one way, shape, or form say that, well, there is the Godhead, and then there's Jesus, and maybe Jesus is now the vehicle to get to God, but then the Holy Spirit is something else that does their bidding. I'm sure you've probably heard it in places. Go ahead. Do you have something?
0: No, no, no. Well, I didn't mean to interrupt, maybe. but before you move on, I, w- I just wanted to say, you talked about subordinationism being equated to Arianism. hmm and that was from the teaching of Arius, mm-hmm. and I be, was Arius the one with Saint Nicholas?
1: I don't know, but he's the one that it's had, interesting. Yeah, but he's the one who had serious issues with the divinity of Christ.
0: Yeah. yeah, so I believe it was at one of the councils, Saint Nicholas, who was a real person, was there, Not and Santa the legend Claus. goes. Yeah, the legend goes that uh, I believe it was Arius who was whose teachings were condemned as heretical, was punched by Saint Mm -hmm. like St. Nicholas didn't take him a bag of coal, just straight up punched the dude. So it's just a fun story, fun little Mm -hmm. side note. And then before we we dive further, there is sort of an offshoot of this, which is kind of a reverse subordinationism, not in the sense that God emanates from Jesus, but that Jesus is superior to God. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's Marcionism, Mm -hmm. if that's how you say it, where, which gets into the ideas of Gnosticism as well, but basically like the God of the Old Testament is an entirely different being who's like mean and wrathful and vengeful, mm-hmm. and like Jesus is nice and kind and loving. So Jesus is superior to the Creator God uh, that you find in the Old Testament, and that's a heresy as well mm-hmm. that you don't find in the church as much. Although I have heard comments in church before about why don't we like why don't we just like cut the Book of Leviticus out of our Bibles? And I mean literally, I heard that one time in a Bible study. <laughs> um, no, let's not do that because uh, those are the Holy Scriptures, and they do lead us to God and his revelation of himself in God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. Mm-hmm. But um, you do tend to, outside the church, you tend to hear this more of this idea of there's a mean old God, Jesus is nicer, maybe more powerful, he loves people. And that's a, I mean, that's a heresy too, but that, you know, like I said, you don't find that in the church as much, but you do find yeah. some in the church that you're going to get to here as we, as we move along. hmm And I think one of the real big problems of
1: subordinationism is really, like I said, that economic trinity. What is the way which God has been revealed to humanity through creation and redemption? And it's God the Father is preeminent over everything, and then comes Jesus, and then comes the Holy Spirit. So at least as we are able to re-experience history, it looks like one comes after the other, and that one is more dominant than the other one. If we go back to the ontological trinity, that says, no, at the origin, at the correct starting place, God is equal. God is distinct three persons, but is equal with himself, and all are God. Holy Spirit is God, Jesus is God, God the Father is God, and they are all God together in their threeness and in their oneness. But I'd I'd completely forgotten about that point. I think we talked about it, John, the, the Old Testament. God and the New Testament, God mm-hmm. and Jesus. And are they different people? Are they the same person?
0: Yeah. Well, and I don't think most people in the church would say that that's something that they believe. So it's not as relevant, mm-hmm. I guess, for our audience. But
1: um, yeah, it, anyway. And how many of these things are things that we, we think about? Like you may not have professed it or said, oh, I totally believe that the Holy Spirit is just some sort of lackey for Jesus or God the Father. Mm-hmm. Um, but we talk about it that way. We think about it that way. We we think about it being as the Holy Spirit is something we should study by itself apart from God the Father or Jesus, but don't recognize mm-hmm. that they are of the same thing, of the same essence um, mm-hmm. as one another. So that's one thing. Um, and there are a lot of different ways to take this. It's just one idea. Do you think about God, the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as God being the top of the ladder, Jesus being somewhere in the middle and the Holy Spirit being somewhere at the bottom? If you do you might be a subordinationist. You might think about God in a way that is tiered and not as wholly equal, um, and holding all of those things we talked about earlier in a solid good tension. So that, that's great, Subordi- subordinationism. A lot of different ways you can take it, look it up. Definitely really cool. The other one, which we've talked a little bit about already, the other heresy to make sure you're not doing. And I've been very guilty of this because, you know, let's be honest, the H2I, H2O idea of God works really well, but it, it's modalism.
0: It makes sense. Yeah. But that's the problem, is it makes yeah, sense. It makes sense. But yeah, modalism. It's
1: easy. It helps us wrap our mind mm-hmm. around it. Um, it should make sense. Yeah, it should make <laughs> sense. But
0: if you, if you can make sense of it, then you then probably believing something heretical Mm -hmm. about the trinity
1: and earlier you said something interesting that modalism came about as ancient church fathers were trying to understand it and they used the example of a greek drama where you would have a single actor who would go and put a mask on say their lines put a different mask on say different lines as a different character put on a third mask as another character say different lines so they're like oh god is kind of like that actor who puts on three Mm -hmm. different masks but it's the same actor No, that's not it. It's like the ice cube. It's not it because you are basically functioning in three different distinct capacities um, that are separate from one another that are not included. Um,
0: That are not equal, that do not exist together at the same time. Yeah. Yeah,
1: So, So, uh, you know, there are various problems that are created by it. Modalism is not good. Um, It's the same thing. Like you said, you can be a father, a employee and a son, but those are completely, you're just making them distinct and separate from one another. Um, yeah. And some of the problems that modalism can create is it can push monotheism to a fault, um, where it just pushes monotheism too far, um, or sometimes could even imply tritheism. So tritheism becomes our our last real big one, um, one of the last ones that Dr. Olson talks about in his book that we want to highlight. And tritheism is if you take the distinctness or the separate the distinctness of the Trinity so far as to make them separateness one and three, but separate, then you end up with a new heresy called tritheism. So John, you Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier that the Jewish writers who wrote the new Testament would have believed hardly in monotheism. That is the backbone of um, Abrahamic faith is monotheism. Um, Mm -hmm. This would say that the father, God, the father, Jesus Christ, the son, and the Holy spirit are three different gods that are working together. Um, Or Mm -hmm. in some way relationship, or maybe they're not working together. It doesn't matter, but you make them so distinct. Um, Possibly of different essence, maybe the same essence, but the point is that they are distinct enough to be three separate beings altogether. Right.
0: They're equal. They are eternal, but they are not unit unified as one God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and this is actually what Mormons believe, yeah. which is why there are some who will say, "Oh, you know, Mormons are are still Christians. They're you know misguided, but they're still Christians." And I would say, no, they're not, because I, I just think they have a fundamental misunderstanding mm-hmm. of the. A of grace, um, but that's not that's not for this topic. They also have a fundamental understanding uh, misunderstanding of just the nature of God, the essence of God, and, and mm-hmm. how God is revealed. So
1: yeah, uh, and polytheism or this tritheism doesn't exist in Christianity. There might be some people who say that they are Christian tritheists if they will even admit it, um, but often those are pretty well um, uh, yeah. reserved for you know people who are way off the uh, the beaten path, way off the, re- the reservation. Um, so there there aren't tritheist Christians, but there are people who are tritheists, even if they don't follow under the, the Christian heading.
0: And, and I would say too, this is probably your average non-believer. This is probably their understanding mm. of the Trinity.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the way we can see this sometimes in our practice is believing that God is, God the Father is one distinct figure that we could pray to and that Jesus perhaps is another distinct figure to pray to. And we make some sort of divide so much between them that they become their own deities. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of uh, heresies to watch out for. Where do you see them in your own life? I know I've been guilty of modalism and subordination at times, or implicitly subordination, I think, more often, you know, before I really started studying all of this, and I'm probably sure I talked about it even today in one of these ways. But along, along the way came a guy named Athanasius, and... He, he was a big um, advocate of maintaining the doctrine of the Trinity, and some folks came along and credited to him the Athanasian Creed, which dives heavy, deeply into preserving the Trinity. And I'll, we'll put it in the show notes, and here are just the first three lines, um, that we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. And then he goes and it talked about the distinctness of the Father, the distinctness of the Son, the distinctness of the Holy Spirit, but how they are each uncreated, how they are unmeasurable, and how they are one. So just Mm -hmm. some more people of our Christian heritage trying to make sense of all of this while preserving the mystery, like we were talking about, John. Mm -hmm. So what are we left with? After all of this, I know it's probably been your brain might be hurting if you stuck with us through all of this. So... What? How do we make sense of this? And I think we make sense of it kind of with a story. I'm not going to give you another analogy. But in a short book, Flatland, um, published in 1884, I think, Edwin Abbott writes of a square living in Flatland, and he's visited um, and has a life-changing encounter with a sphere from spaceland.
0: So, yeah, and so Flatland's a two-dimensional land, mm-hmm. like a piece of paper yeah. with a square drawn on it. Yeah,
1: and a three-dimensional figure comes into Flatland, um, And so while the square is able to interact to some degree with the sphere, he can't fully comprehend what the sphere is. And once he tries to tell other people about the sphere, they're like, that makes no sense. You were crazy. Um, And so he ends up... You're talking about a dot. Yeah, you're talking about a dot. And he's like, no, no, no. It's something more than a dot. It has more dimensions than a dot. And they're like, we're squares. We only have two dimensions. There's no way anything Mm -hmm. can be more dimensions than this. So,
0: right. Go ahead. Yeah, so that's... Yeah, no, yeah. Just so, yeah. You have a piece of paper with a square on it. If you could pass a sphere or a ball through that piece of paper, those of us in three dimension would see the ball passing through the paper. But if you were, if you lived on the paper as a two dimensional item, you wouldn't see the three dimensions of the ball. You would just see where the ball passes through the paper, which would show up as sort of a circle. It would start at the where it first makes impact. It would be a very small circle. And then, as it continues moving through, it would just be a wider and wider and wider circle, two-dimensional, until it passes through all the way, and then it would grow smaller again and disappear. So mm-hmm. that's what you would see in Flatland. Is th- that's what Sam's yeah, getting at? Yeah.
1: So while there is more than one dimension, because they're confined to the two-dimensional world, they can only ever perceive the three-dimensional object as two-dimensional. Correct. So that is where we're stuck: is that right. God exists in ways that we can't even imagine, or fathom, and what we're stuck with is the way that God has accommodated us and our two-dimensional nature, if you will, so that we can comprehend and understand God in a particular way, which leaves us with a trinity that is really hard to understand, and that's okay. And this may not be the most satisfying answer, but we won't really fully understand or grasp the trinity until we can experience it in its fullness firsthand in the presence of God.
0: Right. And it's paradoxical in nature, and that's okay. And we accept things like that as well. So, for instance, just to, to use another analogy with two dimensions and three dimensions, if I showed you a picture of a, a Coca Cola can and asked, "Are Coke cans round or are they rectangular?" Mm-hmm. Well, it depends on what did I show? Did I show you an image of the top or the bottom of the can, or did I show you an image of the can on its side? Because if I showed you an image of the can on its side, then it's going to look rectangular if I showed you the top or the bottom, it's going to look round. So it's it's actually both. It just depends on which angle you see it from. Yeah. And So we can understand that. And so, there, yeah, there's a paradoxical nature to this that we can't fully understand, but we can understand how it can be a paradox. Yeah.
1: And like at the beginning of the episode, this episode probably isn't satisfying because you were probably hoping that we were going to come and give you a definitive answer for how to think about the Trinity or how to understand the Trinity. And it's just not something that any of us can do. And so I think... To be good theologians and good Christians, we just have to live in this unstable uncertainty about what it is. But what we can be certain of um, and accept, and we have to be very precise about this, is that God exists eternally as one divine nature, one substance or essence, comprising three co-equal, co-eternal, and same persons, or consubstantial persons, if you want to use the theological term.
0: With the same substance is what that means, basically.
1: Um, The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each person is fully the one God, but also distinct. And then Augustine goes so far, even in their time... To say, for it is known with complete certainty from the scriptures, and thus is to be devoutly to believe, and in the mind's eye can also achieve a faint but undoubted glimpse of the truth that the Father is, and the Son is, and the Holy Spirit is, and that the Son is not the same as the Father is, nor the Holy Spirit the same as the Father or the Son. So human and adequately searched for a word to express three what, and it said substance or persons. And they just continued to go on. I'll put that in the show notes.
0: And that's from the year, like, three or 400? Yeah
1: very early as they were wrestling with Mm -hmm. these concepts that they passed down. Right. So I think the biggest thing as we leave, what is now is the great significance of Jesus Christ in the midst of trying to discern the Trinity. And I would say that Jesus is the physical indwelling of God, is the way in which we can best know God, because it came like that sphere to flatland, came to us to understand him in a more in-depth and rich and personal way. And while we might not know all of the mysteries of God, God has reached out in a way that we can understand, so that we can love God and God can love us in a rich, deep relationship.
0: Yeah, and I will—I would say, as we close, if—if if you take away nothing from this, I hope our listener will take away this. Typically, when we hear the word God, we talked about using God and God the Father interchangeably. Normally, you'll—you'll you'll see that sort of uh, played out. You know, when when people say, what do you think of when you hear the word God or when you think of God? And almost everybody will say an old man with white hair and a long beard sitting on a throne, right? Well, if if that's what you think of when you think of God, then then you are guilty of a heretical thought, I guess. Um, Now, God the Father, that can be what you think of if that's what comes to mind. Um, It's probably best to try not to think of anything like that, but let's just go with it. Uh, If that's what you, you know, if that's what comes to mind when you hear the word God the Father, great for God, and this is how it began to make more sense to me. Um, it's more like the name God is more like the name of your family to some extent. Don't take that all the way <laughs> because if you take it all the it'll be, it'll be heresy. Mm-hmm. But, but there's a difference between saying John lemons versus the lemons. Because if you, if you say the lemons, then you understand there's multiple people that make up a household. Sure. Um, and so when you, when you think of God, think of God in that sense, that God is is a family of of sorts made up of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Now, now again, a family is not going to be co-equal, not necessarily the same substance, so that only goes so far, but if you can at least get to where you understand that God is all three, and all three are equal, and so so th- an actual reference to God is a reference to almost like a family sort of relationship, then I think you can at least begin to understand the doctrine of the Trinity a little bit more mm-hmm. again. But he, he, even in the Bible, they will say God and they will they will mean God the Father. So it's okay to use that interchangeably. You just got to, you know, context will help you know like what someone's talking mm-hmm. about. But when you are talking about the figure God or the Godhead, you, you need to think of it in this sense of the 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 family that comprises God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. I don't know, five years from now I might get on a podcast and be like, I just told you that and that was heretical. But <laughs> that's that's kind of how I understand it now. Mm. And again, don't do not take that too far because if you take it too far, it will be a heresy. But
1: yeah. That's probably a good place to land, John. Um if you were listening and you're like, I need to talk to someone about this, give us a call. Send us an email. I'd love to take you out to lunch and look silly trying to explain something that I don't even fully comprehend. Um, but let's do it. If your brain hurts, go take a nap. Yeah, because Yesterday when I was finishing my preparation I told John, I, I think at any moment the front of my face might just like <laughs> fall off. Slide off. off. Yeah, yeah. Um, So yeah, we're glad you're here. Listen to it a couple of times. Hopefully this means something. Um, hopefully you find some areas in your life where you say, oh, you know, I was kind of thinking about the Trinity in a modalist way or a subordinationist way or something else. If that's where we can get to and you say, you know what? I'm just going to really latch or lean on the way God is revealed in Jesus Christ. That's awesome.
0: And I hope you're mesmerized by that. Yeah. I hope you see the beauty of that. The be- I think that's the beauty of it really is is if, if we're going to talk about it, the Trinity as a family, then God is love takes on so much more meaning. Mm-hmm. And God wanting to relate to us in in relational ways, wanting to to reach out to us in relational ways, takes on so much more understanding and appreciation. So mm-hmm. I hope you become more mesmerized yeah. with God and the Trinity through this and through understanding that you can not understand.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as you hopefully are mesmerized by this mystery, love the mystery, lean into the mystery, enjoy the mystery of God. But I hope you take mm-hmm. this mystery into your Bible reading. And when you see God speaking or when you see the prophet speaking on behalf of God or you see Jesus healing someone, I hope you think about, yeah, that's the fullness of God in its expression right there. The full, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all one of the same thought, the same mind, the co the same co-eternalness, the same equality. Um
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, it's crazy. The the mystery is wonderful. So yeah. On that note, that wraps this episode up. Thanks for sticking with us through this slog. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you to Ellen for our series logo. Thank you for Patrick To doing all of our audio engineering and putting up with us week in and week out. And we will see you next week for our next installment of this series where we will talk about, well, why don't you just cut out Leviticus from the Bible? So, if you'd like to hear about that, we'll see you next week. Everyone, have a good one. All right, bye.
0: Adios. Bam. All right. Double A baseball, which is what we are, is there's a lot of young sort of prospects. So it's where, it's where major league teams will stick the guys that they think will go to the majors, but they're still really young and unseasoned. So, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and so your double A teams is where you will find like budding future stars of, of major league baseball. So that's what we have. And Mm -hmm. we've got a good team and a good venue, good atmosphere. Food's not bad. So it's a, it's a great, uh. Great adding, and I would recommend it to anybody in Mm -hmm. North Alabama.